Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I am here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and our topic is, when do you know it's time to go indie? Uh, I, I, I really like this topic. I think that this is going to be pretty interesting. Um, hopefully, you won't be too terribly biased. <laughs> but everybody does know, um, well, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of your, your followers and students and stuff, they, they pretty much, they know your opinion and your well, story. Well, they know and... how I got to here from where I was. Yeah. Yeah, so, and why. But <laughs> yeah. But no, but, um, there, there, are, there are significantly good reasons for staying commercial. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Um, All right. Well, before we get into <clears throat> any of that, um, let's go ahead and discuss what we did this week. Holly, go ahead. Okay. Um, I had an interesting week. Um, and and that was good and, and strange and weird. Um, first off, uh, I'm working on the Ohio series now, the first novel of the Ohio series, which is uh, urban fantasy. And um, I had these moments, man. Uh, there was one where my main character was walking across a parking lot. She's a cop, and uh, she is just in Ohio to clean up and sell off her grandmother's house who died. That's it. That's the only reason she's there. And she hasn't even gotten to the house yet. She's driving around the town where she lived when she was a kid. And she's getting a little little choked up, recognizing places and saying, damn, this, this, this is kind of nice. I, I, I had forgotten how nice this little town is. And all of a sudden she gets this horrifying moment where she just knows her cop instincts kick in and she knows something bad is about to happen. It's about to happen right where she is. So she pulls over to the side of the road and gets out of the car and she's got her weapon and she's, you know, she's not licensed to to carry in the state, but she's a cop. So she'll explain. And then this gaggle of guys, she's in front of the public library which is a gorgeous building in the town that I'm writing about. It's a real town, but I've changed the name. And this this guy walks out surrounded by a bunch of girls who are just ooing and awing over him, and he's wearing a, a tweed jacket with elbow patches and a turtleneck, and her first instinct is that he's a complete douchebag. And then he looks at her, and he, she sees that he's walking the kids across these these college-age young women and men across the parking lot faster. That, and he catches her eye, and it's this little connection where he knows something is wrong, too. And he is getting them out of the way. And it, she goes from thinking complete douchebag to, ooh. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. And then I made myself cry three times writing about the grandmother's house. And it was all personal stuff. It was all, and I, this is, I think, why I haven't been writing about Ohio until now, mm-hmm. is because it's, it's me. <laughs> it is, it is me, and and it is everything that I remember from the happiest times of my life, 
And it is all of these amazing places and people and things. And it's just, hi, boy. Yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's going along really well. The novel is coming together beautifully and stuff is happening in it. And I discovered a segment of the magic where the lawyer guy, um, this old dude, it, it's just, he's, he is controllable by cookies. By cookies. Yeah, which proves a couple of things to her. That's funny. Yeah, um, it's, and and the, the strange has kicked in now. So it isn't just that I have, have connected with the magic that's in the place. I have also connected with the weird in the place. And <clears throat> one of the things that I discovered this week that is, is very difficult for me, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it, is with the Cadence Drake novels. And we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle this because I discovered what it is about them that is making them not sell and that is probably going to keep them at too small a market to make it affordable for me to keep doing them. Um, is it, They are urban fantasies. They, they follow beat by beat. Um, the urban fantasy formula of uh, tough girl and hot guy and um, cool magic. But I did it with Handwavium and Spaceships. And I have been reading Ilona Andrews. Like, I have been binge reading. I am hooked. I have been binge reading Ilona Andrews. And they have science fiction elements in there. They have aliens. They have um, different planets. They have all of these different, but they don't have spaceships. And I think that is the thing that I did. And, and when I wrote these, it was back in 1997. Nobody was doing urban fantasy. This was just me putting together what I wanted to read. Um, I still don't see it as urban fantasy. I don't see urban fantasy at all just because you have the same beats. I mean, when I read it, I, I see more detective noir in space. Mm -hmm. And I've read plenty of urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because it has some of the same elements doesn't mean it's urban fantasy. Yeah, well, it's I, I am, like I said, the stuff that I am reading that is Ilona Andrews that is marketed as urban fantasy has aliens and planets and it's and detective detective stuff right but and look at the same thing it's just not knowing how to market it it's not it's not it's being so limited that you have to stick with what you whatever she started off with was probably urban fantasy and adding all of these other little things in there you can't say urban fantasy sci-fi you know what I mean? You yeah. have to have these two or three different things and then be stuck to that. Yeah. yeah. Just because so. one team who started off indie is calling their stuff urban fantasy doesn't mean that you have to look at yours like it's the same. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to market these books. I just don't. And I can't continue doing them if I'm selling none of them. But so. here's the thing, though. If you start selling other things... And like I was saying before, that can be, you can write one Katie book it, uh, a, a year. There's this, there's this kind of place in the middle of selling to make money, which is understandable and which 
all of us want to do. We all want to make a career out of what we love. Yeah. Or most of us want to make a career out of what we love. You can't lump everybody in. Um, and then writing, and then the people who want to, quote, suffer for their art. <laughs> <It's just kind laughs> of, yeah. Uh, is, yeah, we both have our own opinions on that. Yes, we do. And um, <laughs> I, I, there is there is nothing wrong with making money from what you're doing. But if you are making money from what you're doing and you have one project that isn't really successful, but it's your favorite character and it's your favorite project, to me, it, 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 it doesn't make sense to look at it at a, at a profit margin area. I'm not, it, though. It, I'm just, but I you just are. want people to read them. Right, but you're saying that it's not affordable for you to write them. It is if you're selling, if, you know, like your courses are selling, if your fiction is selling otherwise. It shouldn't be about, is it affordable? It should be about, do I still have another Katie story to tell? Well, well you, I've got a lot you, of Katie stories to tell. but And you, you have fans. Yeah. It's just you don't have as many as would be nice yet, but... That one book says, you know, nothing sells the last book like the next one. And maybe she's just a hard sell. Yeah. Maybe you need to have 10 books of hers out before she starts to really pick up. Maybe. Maybe. It's 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 hard. It is It has been kind of a down week. In spite of the ba- fact that there has been so much good in it. That, that particular thing where I, I want people to read her because I think if they read her, they would really like her. But... Yeah. But getting her in front of the people who would like her is just insanely crazy difficult. But it's never going to happen if you quit on her. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. And I've got the third one. I have to do the revision. It's still sitting there for another week or two. Um, I'll have to check my calendar because it needs to sit until it's cold. It needs a month. Yeah. And uh, I think it's been like two weeks since I finished it. It might have been three, but... And then I, I will think, pick I it think back you're right. Up. I think it's been two. Yeah, I think, yeah. So then I will pick that back up and start the revision on it. Um, and uh, and I'll see how it goes. But I, I'm, I'm very excited about the revision for that, too. Anyway, okay, other than Dead Man's Party. Uh, oh, okay, other than I did Dead Man's Party, I, am, I only have two scenes left, and that book will be done. Um, I am so excited. It is. It has... In, it started in one direction. It went in a completely direction, different direction. It is going to be the revision from hell. But, Worse than Talisvana? Oh, well, that... My, that my. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, see, Not because with Talismana, I didn't finish that. Yeah. I actually... That's one of my hard drive zombies. Because yeah, I wrote... Pants. And then I killed them all. But... I didn't. I was not even quite to the point where you could do it, and then, and then I killed them all and ended that way. So that is uh, that is another kettle of fish. <laughs> and so yeah, this one has the advantage of it will be done. <laughs> it will have, it will have an actual real ending. Yeah. And let's see. On my how to write a novel was my fic- nonfiction this week, and I finished um, planning your ending which you don't do until you're pretty close to it. And you have a, you have an ending, but then this is how to put the ending together to fit with what the story that you're actually writing. And it's, it's, it's a pretty cool lesson. That's it, I think. 
I think that was my week. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, it had a lot of ups and downs, like extreme ups and extreme downs. Yeah, it was an, yeah, and it was a very emotional week too. I spent I, I kept making myself cry. So yeah. which I don't really that's not my favorite thing. Well, yeah, I was going to say it used to be you were a lot tougher. Oh, but, I have gone yeah. whole years. I no, I have gone whole decades without crying. Yeah, I I don't remember <laughs> with you grow with me growing up, I don't remember you crying very much at all. No. Like even even if you were arguing with Matt when you guys were a lot younger and still trying to figure shit out, you you weren't really a crier. So this is really weird. Yeah, <laughs> seeing this new mushy mom for the last two or three years. Yeah, this is yeah. Well, I'm uh, I don't know what this is. This is different. <laughs> <laughs> Just another stage. Oh uh, yeah, stages. Well, my week was also. My week was very rough. Just, um, again, you know, anybody who's been following us, you know, I'm suffering from um, undefined infertility. So Mother's Day is is never a good time. And of course, it's the month right before my birthday, too. So I'm getting older with no kids. So it's it's a rough couple of months. Yeah. (sighs) Oh, my God. It was just anything that could get thrown in the way of writing, it did. But I still got my words. Cool. I, I found some really cool stuff in my book that I I guess it's, and I mentioned this before, it's like writing without the safety net. It's kind of like you've been this this trapeze artist for 20-something years and then and then like you, you have the abilities but you don't trust yourself and then they take away the net and then you have to you have to go out and do it do your performance and stuff without the net and that's what this is like for me. For somebody who has never written a novel, for somebody who's coming in, it's going to be a completely different, you know, or somebody who's written a ton of stuff but has never finished a novel. Mm-hmm. You're going to take away different things. And I think that this is a good course that you can go through more than once, you know, go through it many times and pick up on things because as you advance, you're going to notice different things. You're going to pull something else away from the lesson, which is stuff that I've always found from like how to think sideways. Yeah. I I think that the muse half of my brain is so excited and so overjoyed at complete freedom, almost complete freedom. And the inner critic is terrified. <laughs> yes. It is this petrified part of my brain that is there that that is constantly saying, oh, "But, but, the, but you're changing this. Wait, but no, we have no plan for that. But, but we've wait a always done it this way. Yes, yes, and I have. I've always done it this way. I've always done it one particular way. And I just finished the last scene, and I have no more planned out. And the inner critic is like, "What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? It's like, no, where is my corkboard full of?" You know, the index cards, which I still miss, but I'm trying to do this exactly how the How to Write a Novel thing is teaching so that I can take away stuff in the future. Uh But I have to say, what I am getting from this is, is, it's refreshing. And even through my depression and even through the anxiety that I've been having, especially this last week, I... I still, I still get that feeling like I don't want to write, I don't want to sit down, I don't want to do this. And you've seen it in my first word counts. Mm-hmm. They're very low. 
like 87 words, 120 words, you know, s- stuff like that. That yeah. for me, that's exceptionally low. So I am fighting through the depression and the anxiety to show up to to get the words on page. And I get it done. I get my scene done. I get over a thousand words because right now my, my word count is lower because I'm also taking the course mm-hmm. and I've never done a book quite like this. So I wanted to keep the word count lower so the success was a little bit easier to reach. Right, right. I'm going in there and writing something that I am passionate about and, and just showing up every single day no matter how bad I feel and trying to get any words on the page whatsoever that fit the scene um, and then still making it. I mean, that that is that is such a huge success, especially when you are going through one of your, your bad periods. Yeah. To be able to still get not just words on the page, but to get to hit that success, to hit that goal every every day that you can, every day that you have planned out to hit that goal. I think that's that, so that, cool. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it doesn't fix your problems, but it makes you feel a lot more confident and like this too shall pass and I'll get through it, but I'm still creating and I'm still doing what I love. Yeah, yeah, in so, spite of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a big deal to be able to do it in spite of and yeah. through, to go through. Yeah, well, not... Not every day has been like that. Yesterday I planned on writing because I missed, uh, I think, Monday. So yesterday I planned on writing, but um, somebody called and they had found a bunch of kittens from a first-time mom. Oh, boy. Yeah, and uh, the first-time mom had left them all over the house, and I'm not getting into the details because it was really bad. But one of them was still alive, and when they brought it to me, I knew it wasn't good. And it was... They were saying, oh, she must have had it for a couple hours ago. It's like, no, this this was, uh, this kitten has mi- at minimum been without anything for about 12 hours. Oh, and she was cold. And so I'm just going to say this is a real quick rescue PSA. If you find kittens that have been abandoned, first of all, make sure that they have been abandoned. <laughs> and sometimes it's pretty obvious, you know. Um, but if they're in a group together, huddled together in a sheltered place, probably have not been abandoned. If they're spread out, if they're cold, if they're not meowing, stuff like that, then yeah, it's probably abandoned. The best thing you can do is body temperature. Keep the keep the kittens' body temperatures up because you cannot even feed them unless their body temperature is up. So I'm just going to say this because the lady who brought the kitten to me had the AC blasting on her. Oh, jeez. Yeah, she had the kitten in, in a little tea towel, but, <laughs> I mean, it was on her lap. She wasn't holding it you know, in her hands or mm-hmm. anything. So it, not to say that the kitten had much of a chance at all, but it, the the AC blasting did it in for sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, big PSA if you find them uh, and you can find somebody to help you with the rescue. Um, you know, body temperature is the first most important thing. Keep the body temperature up. And secondly, if you can't find somebody, go to kittenlady.org. That is kittenlady.org, and she has everything you're going to need in order to try and rescue that kitten. But if they're hours old, if they're a day or two old, I mean, day or two you have a better chance if they're hours old and the mom has not given them any food. They did not get the colostrum from the mother's milk. 
their percentage of dying is is way higher so don't feel too bad about yourself if you can't save them so that's my my little because it is kitten season now oh boy <laughs> yeah it is it is it, some places like georgia florida california the warmer places it's kitten season all year long but um this is the kitten season all over um america you know the this the mainland of america so yeah. you know <laughs> um Alrighty, so let's get into the actual topic, which is when do you know when it's time to go indie? So yeah, let's let's get into this. Okay, there there are two different versions of what we're doing today. There is beginner to indie, and then there is pro to indie. And <clears throat> obviously, when you decide to do this is very different. Um, the, and the questions that you are asking when you decide to do this are different. With a beginner, your, your question here is, is my writing good enough that I want to put it in front of people and start yeah. trying to get paid for my work? Yeah. Um, when you're a pro and you're looking at going indie, it is, um, the, the question is, is it going to be worth it? And what do I get out of it for walking away from relative security to, yeah. to, um, relative insecurity? Well, now with, with those questions, yeah. how, how do you get the, now, now I get that the second one is it, you don't know, mm -hmm. you don't know because you just have to try. Right. But the first one, that is the problem that a lot of people face is, is my work good enough? So obviously you can't trust your friends who aren't writers. And sometimes you can't trust your friends who are writers <laughs> because they might not want to be honest. I, I, I swear I lucked out when it came to having a mom who was a writer, who didn't cry for decades, who was, <laughs> you were a good mom, but you weren't, you weren't quote motherly. No. You know what I mean? No, it, you, I wasn't. No. Yeah. Oh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I lucked out when it came to having somebody who I knew would tell me the truth, you know, and I learned that at 13, 12 or 13, yeah, when we had 12. the family, it, it was the, no, it was, it was 13. Okay. Because uh, I was in, it was my first year of high school and we had the computer out underneath the staircase because at the time... That was the hand-me-down. It was for both me and Mark. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting there and I had written a scene and I thought I was so clever and everything. And I think I mentioned this in another pod, in another podcast episode, but um, I I thought it was so clever. It was such an amazing scene. And I was reading a lot of Dean Koontz, so I'm sure there was it was Dean Koontz inspired. And you read it and you and you were like, okay, but what's the point? What is the point of any of this? Uh, and you mentioned a couple other things and I got really super like pissy <laughs> and Matt, even though he might've handled it differently nowadays or, or like with Joe, he made a very good point that stuck with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and it was, okay, do you want her to be honest with you and help you get better? Or do you want her to just tell you how great you are? And I know it's a very simple thing, and I know a lot of people have probably seen this online and heard it before, but it made an impact at the time, and it stuck with me. So 
you kind of have to, as a beginning writer, or as a writer who doesn't know if your stuff is, is, is good enough to publish, because remember too, there's always going to be people that hate it, that, that say that you are not a good writer, yes. that say you shouldn't be writing at all. So Yes, and this, this you have to keep in mind, and I, I say, let me really emphasize that this is a big deal, and it continues to be a big deal when you're a professional, and it continues to be a big deal when you have been doing this for 30 fucking years, is there are still going to be people who say, you shouldn't be writing, you aren't good enough to be a writer. Yeah. Go on to literally any famous author's page um, on their their Amazon books. Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen King, J.K. Rowling. Look at literary authors, too, and look Mm -hmm. at the, you know, the the one star, two star reviews. If they're not the idiots that, that are complaining to Amazon about their book coming in all crumpled up. Yeah. Which is amazing that those even stay I, I cannot understand why amazon lets those stay <laughs> yeah i don't i don't get that either but yeah you're gonna see everybody say oh stephen king's a shit writer he's been a shit writer since you know since after the 70s and he stopped doing coke and blah 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 or whatever people's opinions are gonna <laughs> right. be so you are always gonna be a shit writer to somebody out there right and that's kind of liberating to know because it, it no matter what you do Somebody out there is going to tell you, you shouldn't be writing your shit. Well, okay. <laughs> it is liberating. Because yeah. in the second that you realize that you have had your first haters, you can say, all right, that's who they are. Mm-hmm. And then you just delete them from your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I know that a lot of it's still going to still get to you. You know, it's you're only human. Mm-hmm. You're still going to feel you know the 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 pain or whatever but that's that's where it comes down to do you really want this because if you really really want this nothing anybody else can say can stop you Uh you're gonna do it anyway so from that beginning writer's perspective how can they find out if their writing is good enough to go indie i am a huge proponent of writing groups. Um, I'm, <laughs> I am one of very few professional authors, I suppose, who are. A lot of people like to, to encourage the go it your own way, yeah. do it yourself, be alone, be the loner. Um, I benefited enormously from sitting in a room with a dozen other people, and we would each bring a chapter of our work from the previous two weeks, and we met every roughly every two weeks. Um, and we were, uh, I don't know, all of us at that time were unpublished. And uh, I had, I was kind of a de facto go-to leader because I had actually written the whole novel. It sucked, but I had done it, <laughs> and I had the stack of paper to prove it. So the, I was... I was the one person in the group who had done that. Now, other people had written some short stories. Nobody had anything, anything published. And we sat and we would each read what we had written that, that couple of weeks. And uh, then we would go around the circle. And I came up with rules for critiques, for, for doing a good critique of the work. Um, and it took us, I don't know, maybe a year 
to get to the point where we had these firm rules. Okay, this is, you have to say something good. You have to figure out what is good about it and mention that. Um, you have to be specific in describing what is bad and it has to be something that is fixable. It can't just be, well, I don't like science fiction. Yeah. You know, be, because if you don't like the genre, um, your opinion of how the genre is written is irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you... And we'll, we'll link the the yeah the rules because and, you actually have them up on your blog. Right. I have, I have the entire handbook and the rules on my blog. Uh, and we can link those. But you have to get objective criticism for your work. You have to, and you have to get it from people who are actually writers. Because if you yes. are getting your information from readers, they don't know how a book is written. You know, they might, they might be great readers, but they cannot tell you how to fix something because they have never created it. You cannot get your input from family members because your family mm. members love you and they don't want to hurt your feelings. Well, well, unless they're, or, they're unless they're me. No, no, oh, I was going to say or okay. unless they're Tony who has the same kind of mentality you do is like I have to be completely honest and it doesn't matter if it hurts if it makes you better <laughs> but the problem is he hates reading <laughs> yeah so yeah you have to make sure that whoever you are asking because I see this time and time again spouses going to spouses for their opinions if your spouse does not read what you are what, what you're writing even like my husband doesn't like to read period mm-hmm if your spouse doesn't, if, if you want to write, you know, cozies and your spouse only write, reads nonfiction, you know, true crime, that even though there is an overlap, it's not going to help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, he's not, you know, or say it's he only reads, you know, Game of Thrones kind of fantasy and you want to write romantic comedy. It, you can't go to somebody who isn't in the know in order to help. Because, and, and people do this again and again. And, and I must be a masochist because I, or I must be a sadist because I do the same thing. I go to Tony again and again. His opinion should not matter when it comes to the writing. Right. <laughs> right. It, it can't. It can't because he does not read in the genres you're writing. He doesn't read, period. He hates <clears throat> reading. Right. He says, right. Hey, I'll just wait till they, they bring out the movie version. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have to be specific. You have to, if you are doing this and you want to do this and you want to do it professionally, you cannot take just anybody's opinion of what you have written. You have to seek out specifically qualified people to offer their opinions, and it will help a whole lot if they are writing at the same level that you are. You don't need a professional writer to go over your stuff and say, this is how you do, because, because there are things that you can learn when you are beginning that they've forgotten about because it has become automatic to them. There are, and if you and colleagues at the same level that you are, are getting together on a regular basis and just reading chapters of each other's work and then commenting on it, you are going to see in what they have done mistakes that you make. Yeah. 
And because you see it in somebody else's work, you can be objective of about it. And you learn. And everybody yes. the same way, as long as everybody is objective and the point is to learn, they're going to learn from critiquing your stuff. They're going to learn from being critiqued. It's, it's a very, very good system. And if you can't, there are a lot of ways to find, you know, local, especially during NaNoWriMo, they put these groups together and you can meet people. That way you can find on Facebook groups and try to put some some live people together but if you can't find them again i'm just going to plug holly's writing classes.com the forums are completely free mm -hmm. the, not all of them i mean some of them are specifically well we do have to yeah we do have closed private forums that are specifically for individual classes and yes those you get free when you buy the class yeah but we have free open forums which are are not open like google can search them they yeah. are open like you have to log in and you have to have a private account but once you're there you have access to all of those forms yes and you can you can find people of your own skill people who are you, you could basically just go in there and looking for a couple of people to exchange critiques um i am writing such and such genre it would be great if if you know we could all be writing or roughly the same genre that sort of thing mm -hmm. and you guys can get together and work together it there are ways again to find people locally i've done it before the problem with that is i mean even if it's even if you're not concerned about safety because you are meeting in a coffee shop because usually it's a bookstore or a coffee shop mm -hmm. you don't know what you're gonna get every time i've gone to a nanowrimo thing there have been those jackasses that just want to talk about how how they write all the time mm. They want to talk about writing. They don't want to sit down and actually do the writing. They don't want to sit down and actually share each other's work and stuff like that. They hog the conversation or they offer to critique everybody's work because they're so good. So, yeah, that's a warning sign. Yeah. Yeah. If you are not putting your own work out there and you're offering to critique somebody else's work, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. So. Yeah, or Oy, they're, they're the sign. jackasses that while you're during writing just have to read this amazing paragraph they just wrote and it's, you know, just, I, I don't know. It, it just, you can find really great people, but beware, you're, there's going to be some jackasses mm -hmm. out there too, so. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we had, we actually had to come up with a specific rule on how to remove a member uh, from Schrodinger's Pet Shop. Because she was that person. She was, well, I have written one whole book, and therefore I know everything about writing a book, and uh, you should all just sit and listen to me. She hadn't published anything yet. She had written a big, fat book, and she had it bound in a, uh, uh, ring bound in a big, fat notebook, and she was waving it around like uh, her proof of, of her superiority. And I was already publishing at that point. <laughs> and um, I, we, we did not enjoy her. And she was a complete, she was rude. She, she was brutal about everybody else's, when they read, her critiques were vicious. Yeah, I remember you said she found joy in tearing. Yeah, she really, she, down. you could see her eyes light up when she, and she would go in aimed for the jugular. And she was a complete bitch. And we, she, she attended two meetings, and after the second, she left, and we all looked at each other and said, she's got to go. How do we do this? Yeah. Yeah. 
and yeah. it was so yeah if, if you're looking into um how to tell if your work is publishable again context of the person that you're asking yes is very important yes the context is everything you really need people who love the kind of fiction you love and are writing and and you only need three or four people because the more people you're doing this with the more work it becomes and the harder it becomes to stick with it yeah um so you know three four people including yourself and people that you are willing to meet online with or meet in a safe place with um, a couple of times a month. Uh, just, just to go through, and, and seriously, you will learn so much more from learning how to do a good critique and then doing good critiques of three people's work per, per two weeks than you will ever learn from, from the critiques they give you. And, and yeah. it is so hard to get people to believe that. They keep thinking, well, if somebody would just tell me how to do this. But no, it is when you are going through and reading somebody else's work and going, oh, my God, that not only is that bad, but I do that too. And at the point where you make that click and you have that connection in your brain, all of a sudden you see that as a mistake and you stop making that mistake. Yeah, and or this, sometimes, sometimes some some critiques that somebody has given you, you don't understand. You you, you understand the words, but you're it's not clicking for some reason. And then when mm -hmm. you read it in somebody else's work, then it just kind of falls on you like a ton of bricks, and you understand. Show don't tell is a very good example of that. I was having a problem with show don't tell um, to to the point of that the the uh much 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 too much exposition rejection note mm -hmm. um and it was at the point where i was reading other people's show don't tells in the writing group where i went oh i see it yeah oh my god he is going on and on and on and on and they're not doing anything. If they were do, click right in the yeah. back of my brain, right then, right there, it was, oh my God, now I understand. Yeah, kind of, show don't tell is one that can be very difficult for people to understand. Theme can be another one. Uh -huh. And then just little things that you find. Yeah. And that, when you are reading somebody else's, who is at about mm -hmm. the same level you are, and you guys are all working together, and you see them do this thing, Yep. All of a sudden, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next? Okay. Um, so after you have people that you trust and, and can work with, then you need to have your process in place. Um, if you are a beginner, you need to have a, a work process. You, you have to be, before you even consider going indie, you have to have a process for idea generation, for coming up with story ideas regularly. You have to have a process for coming up with story ideas. You can't just have one story idea and think, okay, well, I'm going to write this and then I'm going to go indie. You have to know that you can come up with idea after idea after idea. You have to know how you do it. And 
And you have to know that you can do it regularly and this is not going to be something that you're going to freak out about once you are writing and you have a story and you have a book and it takes off. The thing that you don't want to have happen is to write your one story and have it go out there and hit big and then not want to have any idea what to do next. Yeah, that would be terrifying. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, people are waiting for my next book. I don't know how to do a next book. That would be bad. Yeah, and it's probably better to start off with a whole bunch of ideas. Like, you're writing this first book, but you know where you want to go next, so that if it does, for some reason, you know, miraculously hit big, which is very, very rare and it's probably not going to happen. Very unlikely, but... But if it, if it does, or even if a lot of people, if, you know, a, a bunch of people, it hasn't hit big, but it, a bunch of people did buy it, and they loved it, and they wanted more, you're, you, you might freeze up. But if you already have the ideas in place you already know where you're going next, that can act as some of a, a bit of a comfort. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, like uh, you don't panic. Yes, exactly. So you have to have your, your idea in your idea generation process in place. You have to have your first draft production process in place where you are sitting your butt in the chair and it does not have to be every day. I do not write every day. I write five days a week. Well, actually, right now I'm writing four days a week. Yeah, on, because marketing day. Right, on on fiction. And then I am writing four days a week on nonfiction. And then I'm doing a day a week of marketing. And then I take my weekends off. And we do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, some people some people write every single day. That one writer uh, that you were reading his, his book on what he did to... Yes, to, every single know. day. Yeah. yeah, he writes every single day. And that's great if you, if you want to do that and it doesn't burn you out. Yeah. I have but, discovered from uh, a period of about seven years where I was writing every single day because I was com- commercially publishing and I was uh, writing like 12-hour days to hit deadlines and... Um, I was stressed out and I had bad periods of burnout and I have learned that I do much better if I can take a day or two off. Yeah. So you have to find your rhythm, but you have to have a rhythm. You have to have a production process that allows you to create a significant number of words per week. And I think per week is a reasonable goal. So how many words do you want to do per week? For me right now, it's about, what, three, 4,000, something like that? No, well, no, about 2,000. Yeah. I was going to say you wanted to hit 2,000 the other yeah. day for the Ohio book. But yeah, it just yeah. depends on what, like other people won't be writing two books a right. uh, at the same time either right which, so so i'm yeah. i'm i am right now i am comfortable doing about 2000 words a day and i am comfortable doing about 6 to 8000 words a week um if i were writing 5 days a week which you know i'm not right now i could comfortably do 10000 words a week yeah and you can do a lot of fiction with that and that's working yeah. just a few hours a day on the fiction and then doing a whole all the other stuff i've got to do yeah, when I was doing Glass House, it was um, 3,000 words a day because I was trying to get half a chapter done every day. Mm-hmm. And that was comfortable. That was good. That was easy. Now, because of the depression and everything, I'm trying to take it easier on myself. I want to um, lower the word count a little bit, and it's 1,000 words a day right. or, or more if the scene asks for it. So be flexible. <laughs> right. Be flexible. And the other thing is do not write to failure. 
Yes. And we have talked about this elsewhere. I'm just going to give it a but very mention brief it again, mention yeah. here. Yeah. That because this might be the first episode where you hear me, um, the idea of constantly, well, if I can do 3,000 words a day, I can do 4,000 words a day. If I can yeah. do 4,000 words a day, I can do 5,000 words a day. If I can, and you will burn yourself out. This is called writing to failure. It is pushing yourself to the point where you break. And at the point where you break, um, you can lock up, you can, your brain can shut down. You just, you can't come up with any more ideas. Um, ask me how I know. Yeah, the, the big thing I think to, to really note is that it's okay to leave for the day feeling like you want to write more. Mm-hmm. It is better to do that than to leave not knowing where it's going to go or not, not knowing what, what you're going to do next in, in, in a stressful way. Right. If, if you set a goal of a thousand words and you're repeatedly going a little bit over and you're repeatedly getting 1500 for like three weeks in a row, then make it 1500. But then if you are still getting your work done, you are still creating a book in the period of time that you need to create it in then it's okay to feel like God. It really is. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying like a lot of people will start at something like 250 oh, words well, sure. a day yeah. and then they they need to grow because, mm-hmm. yeah, you can write a book in 250 words a day, but if you have the time, if you have the energy, if you're moving along, 250 words is a very small amount. So you can bring it up gradually, but you have to make sure that you can hit it on a regular basis and it, and you're still shooting for success. And it don't... still needs to feel fun. Yes, yes. And leaving excited. Yeah. Hitting your mark and knowing that there's more. Like, I prefer to finish a scene. I don't want to leave a scene empty. Mm-hmm. I always try to finish the scene. That is my personal preference. But if you hit your words and you're okay walking away you know and then coming back then you don't have to finish a scene you don't have to finish a chapter it's it's very dependent on the writer themselves that is very very true i would recommend finishing a sentence i when i i'm serious do do not laugh this is dead serious here i was writing ten thousand words a day at one point um and it was a brutal grueling grind it was miserable. I had it because I was on a tight deadline. I had struggled through. I had gone in wrong directions twice. And my deadline to, to my minimum word count to hit that damn deadline and get the book in on time was 10,000 words a day. And I was hitting it, but I was stopping in mid-sentence. I would hit 10,000 words and get up and walk away. I was not having fun. And you come back the next morning and you think you're going to know where you were going with that sentence and no. And that can make for a really rough start in the morning. It's like, oh my God, what was I going to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. So So do finish the sentence. Do finish the idea. But do leave while you're still having fun. Walk away knowing that you will want to come back tomorrow and do that same thing again. It's like push-ups. You don't, you don't do push-ups until, until you hurt yourself. You do push-ups while they're doing you some good and walk away thinking, I can do that again tomorrow. I could do that same amount right now if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. And writing is, is, is like that. 
All right, so then you have your idea generation in place. You have your first draft production process in place. Now you have to know that you have a revision and editing process in place. You have to know that you can both revise your work and if you're going to be the person who's editing, editing it, that you can edit your work. If you are not the person, you have to have somebody you know that you can trust who will edit it. My husband is one hell of a great editor. He is a okay. Now, okay. Explain, before you go into that, oh. explain <laughs> the difference between revision and editing. Yes. Because a lot of people don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I hear these words used interchangeably and it drives me nuts. Revision is what an author does. Revision is what a writer does. It is you go in and in you take a first draft, a raw, buggy first draft, and you look at everything that is wrong with the story, from characters who don't need to be in there, to plots that don't go anywhere, to conflicts that are stupid, to um, world building that is just, uh, that you have lost, or that you start eight years too early in the book, as I did, or too late in the book, as I did with Dead Man's Party, so that halfway through the book, I realized that I needed to move the book to two years after an event happened rather than 10 years after an event happened. Um, revision is the author's process of taking what you, what you discover by the end of the book you want the book to be and turning the first draft into that. And I'm, I'm going to put a plug in here. I know that you don't like the, the advertising and stuff like that, so okay. I'm going to put the plug in here. Okay. Holly has a brief free um, article on revision. I will put that in the blog. She also has a very um, inexpensive um, course, the seven-day crash, crash revision. Yeah. Seven-day crash revision course. And then she has a more expensive, more in-depth, amazing how to revise your novel course. Again, this is my plug, not Holly's, because hollyswritingclasses.com is sponsoring this, so I, I don't have to do this kind of thing. <laughs> but um, it is it is my preference to shout out that course, because that course, it, part of what you're doing when you're writing is, and this is what the course teaches you to, is, is you're putting all of these very basic blocks down for the book. And the it, it none of it sounds right a lot of it is is written weird a lot of it is the show don't tell or it is the telling not showing and a lot of things like you'll come up with these really great conflicts midway through and if you're doing what you should do which is not going back and revising but writing it in as if that conflict has been there it's it's amazing and then the course also teaches you how to find threads that weren't there how to find the subtext how to find the themes how to pull those out and how to really gel everything together and a lot of times the first draft is shit i don't know <laughs> anybody really honestly who has a first draft that is perfect who is writing the right way which is you don't know what you need to take out until the end so don't go back and revise until you have finished the entire book so how to revi revise your novel is an amazing course it it made such a huge difference for me once i actually took it and you can't look at anything that i have published under my pseudonym as 
proof of this because I never took that course. (laughs) (laughs) The first book that I have ever actually gone through and and used how to revise your novel all the way up until the end was the one that I submitted to Harlequin. So again, I'll get out of this plug now. We won't have a a sponsored (laughs) ad in this particular um, podcast because I I went ahead and did it myself. But but yeah, the, the how to revise your novel course is amazing take a look at it but she's also got the seven day crash revision which is less expensive and she has free information all over i have a free step-by-step on how to do it yeah so So, um it's it is very thin but um now what okay so editing editing is when an objective other observer goes through your work after you have revised it, after you have given your absolute best shot at debugging it, at turning it into the book you wanted it to be from the book that you intended to write when you started or thought you were going to be writing when you started, uh, when you have what you consider to be a finished product, you hand it off to somebody else. And the somebody else then looks at it objectively and with skill and says, Okay, this is where you have not done specific things. Uh, This is where you can make this part of the book tighter. This is, you have a bunch of typos here. You routinely misuse the word it's. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, um, Matt found a whole bunch of the lay, lie, and lie, lane, mm -hmm. all the the, the ways to lay down, basically. I didn't even realize how many times I used the version (laughs) of that in the leaving one to Lucia, but apparently it was a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. So you need to have someone objective and skilled who can go through what you have done. And now this is whether you are, uh, if, you're, if you are writing professionally and commercially, you, this is provided to you for free. Um, you pay for it on the back end, but this service is provided to you for free on yeah. the front end. Well, you, you pay for all of that, all of the marketing, everything, mm-hmm. because they take that chunk of your, your commissions and yeah. or royalties. You get royalties and you get it in advance, but that's it. Everything else goes to the publisher. Right. And now, another plug, this one's not sponsored or anything, Matt's Content Edits. Yeah. Dot com. That is uh, Holly's husband. He's been doing this with her since the 90s. Oh, yeah, since He's 1995. Been, he has yeah. been he has been my content editor since 1995, and he kicks ass. Yeah, he even when awesome. she was even when she was published commercially, she he would get the book before she would send it off. Yep. So, yep. Um, that is it. It's difficult for you to do it yourself. I can't imagine doing it yourself, especially after you've gone through all of the revision and everything, because it's a very very you can do it yourself because you yeah. are not objective about your own words. Yeah. And you so, cannot see the things that you cannot see. You cannot know the things that you don't know. Yeah. Even and- <laughs> printing out the books and stuff, even printing them out, which you need to do in order to find a lot of typos and a lot of, you know, it's because mm-hmm. you, your vision works differently. You're still not going to see a missing thread necessarily. You're still not going to see where maybe your theme has changed and there was a lot of little things that Matt found from leaving one to Lucia that were invaluable. And I think that not saying you have to use him, obviously. Yeah. Oh God. No, we have, we have a number of people on the site who who do this. Yeah. So again, free account at hollyswritingclasses.com. You can find somebody out there that will 
that will work with you. Sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, if, if, if you've, you can afford to pay somebody else to do it, that's great. If you can switch, maybe you just... I even have a way to get it done for free. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's uh, crowdsourcing where you need to have, again, like your writer's group, but not your writer's group, you have to have a group of beta readers who are skilled beta readers, who are willing to look at what you do in exchange for you being willing to look at what they do when they have something finished and revised. Yeah. And then people send in um, their crits, and it's not as good as having a commercial editor, but it is free. <laughs> and and you, if you're doing this right, because I had, what, 10 people? Mm -hmm. Originally I had 13 or 14 lined up. I had four dropouts, totally normal. Shit happens, life happens. People are gonna forget. People are going to have not realized how much work it actually is to do this kind of thing and then bail on you. Mm -hmm. So I had, I think, nine at the end that actually came through with everything. And two of them were phenomenal right Bar like uh barbara and melanie were absolutely uh, <laughs> if i could steal them for everything that i write for the rest of my life i'm keeping them yeah there were some more that were really good you you learn and then you have your base and then you keep adding to it the more you work right and then you can build this this team basically yes so that as you when you are bootstrapping and if you are doing this as a beginner and starting without having any commercial publication behind you, you are bootstrapping and you have to do pretty much everything for free or as close to free as you can go. So yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I did the same thing. I, I don't, don't have a whole bunch of funds. I look out on the fact that I'm Holly's daughter, so I am also Matt's stepdaughter legally, and he has helped me out with the content edits. Um, I, I I get these kind of perks, and I am <laughs> lucky. You get the stepdaughter price. <laughs> I get the, the daughter and stepdaughter price. And eventually, you know, like the next time I'm hoping to actually pay him full price because it is worth that, you know, but it is awesome to have somebody who can look through objectively if i didn't have matt i still had my bug hunters mm -hmm. and they did such a phenomenal job they pointed out some of the things that like melanie pointed out the fact that she didn't um the main character didn't react a certain way to a certain situation and melanie turned out to be she is a um a a trainer of gun like shooting like she's oh, certified cool. okay yeah she's a certified trainer so um her input during that that section was actually really important fantastic <laughs> so yeah and i didn't i didn't know that at the time so um it, it, you can get really good and she's not a writer she is a reader but she actually listens to the podcast which is weird so i don't know if she wants to write or what not but and then you have, I think it, it, it's kind of good to have a couple of just readers reading your work as well, because they can point out stuff in a different way than writers can. I think that the writers have a better grasp on an ability to tell you what they feel is wrong. What, like, uh, okay, well, this character isn't likable because of this, this, and this, and this. Mm-hmm. 
readers might just come up with, well, I don't like him. <laughs> yes. But, yes. yeah, readers will also have an insight that other writers won't because they just read. So they'll go through and they'll say, well, I didn't really feel like I was there in this scene. There or, is a place for them. We're getting yeah. to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there is a place for readers in your process. So, okay. Okay. So, your process is now you have idea generation. You can do that regularly. You have your first draft production process in place. You're writing regularly. You have your revision process in place. You are revising. You know how to revise your work and get it done in one shot. There, I have I have people still who are saying to me, well, you know, how do you how do you do all of the revisions and the multiple revisions? I said I don't. I revise yeah. a book once, and the process I teach teaches you to revise a book once because if you are going to be a production author, and you are going to be doing this as a way to make money. Uh, and as a way to feed your family and put a roof over your head and pay your bills, then you don't have the luxury of 17 revisions. You have to do it right the first time. So, and let me just say something too. Yeah. If you are looking at going indie, being a production author is one of the very few things that I can say 100%. I mean, except for those rare cases where somebody just flies out of the gate and is doing amazing with one book mm -hmm. a year, or two books a year. If you are looking at indie, be prepared to be a production author. Yeah. Because if you see a lot of the indies that are very popular and doing very well and making a lot of money, they are production authors. Yes, this is a job. <laughs> this is this is like the, the there is an analogy I can use that is perfect. YouTube. Okay. YouTube with the with the algorithms favors content created not just weekly but two or three times a week if you are creating content and posting it out there two or three times a week you are going to be more successful even if your content isn't as great <laughs> as somebody who's putting out once a month right so i'm not saying put out stuff that is lackadaisical or not as good as you could put out or or anything like that. No, you I'm just saying, have to learn how to be good fast. <laughs> just, yeah, put out your best work every time. Don't go back and revise. Just move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about perfect because perfect never finishes, right? Right. So, and safe never starts. Right. And those, those are very important lessons from how to think sideways. Go into this knowing that, like Holly said, that you have to have all of these things down. If, if, if you want to go India and you want to make this a professional thing, be prepared to be a content producer. Yeah, yeah, and show up for work every day, um, and and have a mean boss. My boss is an absolute bitch. Yeah. <laughs> when I was working for myself during Etsy, I was running my own sweatshop. Yes, yes, with you with one employee. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Occasionally Tony would pitch in, but he didn't put up with me as his boss. There, there was none of that. <laughs> yep, yep. And that's me. I, I, my boss is a bitch. Your first draft production, you have that down. You have your revision process down. You, you know that you can do this in one go. You have your editing, your outsourced editing, however you're going to do it, with uh, crowdsourcing or with a paid editor. Um, you have this lined up and you have somebody reliable and you know where you're going with that. 
then the next thing is you have to have your book production and distribution in place. And that means you have to know how you are going to get the cover art. You have to know where you're going to get your ISBNs. You have to know where you are going to have the book formatted and designed and laid out and made beautiful. Um, you have to, and I do all of this stuff myself. And now, I can say one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Smashwords provides free ISBNs with everything that you publish. Mm -hmm. And so does Amazon. Okay, and cool. yeah, so does somebody else. Um, I think Barnes and Noble. But yeah. I'm, all I did was when I was publishing under the pen name, I would publish under Smashwords and then move it over and just use the same ISBN. The problem with that is that if you are using a Smashword ISBN, it does not go well on Amazon. If you are using an Amazon oh. ISBN, it does not go well on Smashwords. Um, you are kind of tying yourself to a platform when you do that. So um, you genuinely, it is a much better process to buy. And this is, the, I have to kind of take a deep breath when I say this, <laughs> but to buy about a thousand ISBNs at uh, Bowker's. And have can you spell that? B O W K E R S, and it's Bowker's something dot com. But if you look up Bowker's and ISBN, um, you will find them. Spell and that again slower. I'm sorry. <laughs> B O W K E R S, That's and cool. yeah, uh, because um, that was one of the things that I did when I knew I was going to go indie is I took some of the last of my commercial money and I bought a thousand ISBNs and it was not cheap and it is not cheap now. But uh, you are only paying about a buck piece for them if you do it that way. And if you don't do it that way, it's like $10 a piece or 50, some god awful amount of money. Well, if it's $10 um, a piece and it's your first book, yeah, maybe that's okay. And then, you know, if you start making some money, then you can buy it in bulk mm -hmm. or... You know, you you go sell plasma two times a week for several months. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's oh god, you the, the, you did not tell me that you were doing that. Ooh. No, well, I was I was uh, independent. I yes. still have have that independent streak, <laughs> but it's okay. It's, I know, it, I know, you good. got through it. It's so anyway. Okay, so you have your book production. You you know how you are going to do that. And I will say right now, I work on a Mac. Now we have on the site is part of just the free stuff that's there. Uh, we have people that I recommend uh, who have done book production for me um, as a paid service. Um, I am doing my own now because um, right now my numbers are not great and it I can't afford to have somebody else do it. Yeah. But uh, I paid a one-time fee. I work on a Mac and uh, since I have a Mac, I was able to use Vellum. So I do my own book, book, um, formatting, formatting. formatting. Yeah. Uh, now, and, uh, it, it comes out, it's, they all, all vellum books look an awful lot alike. Uh, you can tell if it's an, a vellum book because they do have a very specific layout and design. And, and even, even though you can change that around, it's still, it's obvious that this was done in vellum. It looks, yeah, it looks like a vellum book. It yeah. looks like a vellum book, but it, it looks like a real book. So, yeah, it looks, you know, it's very classy and well done. It is. It's very nice. And we'll take that. Um, and you have to know where you're going to distribute. And there are, there are um, <laughs> religious wars fought over uh, going on 
Amazon as as a exclusive an exclusive versus yeah. going wide versus when to go wide versus how to go wide versus not going on Amazon at all, which I think would be or, just nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah, to me that would be insane versus going through Smashwords mm-hmm. and then using their catalog uh-huh. and then letting Smashwords sell everything right. for you. Versus using draft to digital and having yeah. them sell everything for you. Versus it's just there are a multitude of places versus booklocker.com or mm-hmm. um oh god there is another one that I just loved and I can't think of the name of it lulu.com lulu oh god yeah. that's old school yeah that's yeah. old school yo but oh you god. can still if you want to be able to offer ringbound which I have had yeah. people recently ask me for that so I am going to do for the clinics some ringbound versions of those because they specifically said oh but I loved the ringbound versions it's like okay fine yeah, I can go too. back I, I can make too. those available because sure and then they will people will still get the uh, if if they save their receipts, they will still be able to come into the help desk and get the worksheets and the classroom yeah. and the forum. And the, and yeah, the you get forum. your digital version of the the course. Yeah, and, stuff. and all the yeah. digital versions and all that stuff. Yeah, but there is a million ways to publish. There and are. Yeah, and it you can you can spend time going through articles and reading blog posts from mm-hmm. other authors and finding out what they've done that's best. There's no one true way to do it though mm-hmm. because anybody can find success at any moment doing any kind of publication yes and it is it is the crapshoot from hell it is you don't know which thing is going to work for you and you can't afford to try all of them yeah. because um for example kindle ads will eat your life they have, I have done advertising on this, and one of the smartest things that somebody has said to me is until you have a professional grade cover art, and until you have all of the other, until you have the perfect blurb and the perfect ad copy, you are wasting your money with Kindle advertising. And I don't have um, $2,000 covers. Or, yeah. yeah, or, you know, I don't have the famous artists who are doing the, the, the covers that are selling all of the stuff that the people who do have. Yeah. So advertising for me right now is a no-go, uh, or Kindle advertising anyway. I have, and, and I spent a couple thousand dollars on it and got a, a couple hundred dollars in sales. So you don't mm. want to do that. Yeah. So yeah. that that's a good that's a good tip right there right away mm-hmm. is is you know from experience. Yeah. But yeah, the one thing I can say for absolutely you know not not if you're looking at something that keeps you away from amazon.com it probably isn't the best idea because mm-hmm. whether you like that company or not if you are looking to make a successful career as a writer Amazon is where most people buy their ebooks. Yes. Yes, it is. And ebooks are a large percentage of sales now, in spite of the fact that publishers, commercial publishers, are keeping their uh, ebooks artificially overpriced yep. um, in order to subsidize print publication. And yep. they are using their their big name authors and and the success of their big name authors to overprice ebooks so that they can force people to buy print books 
Yeah. Which, you know, they, they good luck with that, uh, you know, and I hope it makes them happy, but I'm I am pricing my stuff to be affordable for people who like ebooks. And then I yeah. will do a print version too, and I will do it so that I make about the same amount on the print book that I do on the ebook, which is how I price my stuff. Yeah. Anyway, um so you need a method for print for book production and distribution. And you need to know how to do it and how to do it efficiently and quickly and regularly and to make sure that it is done well. And then you need to understand marketing. And oh my God, marketing. <laughs> I am still learning it. Um, but this is one of those things where you need to be producing the books before you can market them. So it is, marketing is the end game. One of the most encouraging books that I remember having read, and, and you found this one first, and I'm pretty sure this is this is the one. <laughs> it is Become a Successful Indie Author, Work Toward Your Writing Dream by Craig Martell. Um, this is the author that I'm thinking of. This guy has written a ton of, I think, like military, like sci-fi military books. Mm -hmm. Um I'm I'm forgetting. Yeah, that's it. That's that's that's, yeah, that's the guy. Him. I had to look it up, guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he specifically tells you you don't have to be perfect. He says, you know, my writing isn't the best that it you know that that it's you know that that it can be. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly getting better. He has his fans, and he even says like I am not the world's best writer. But I love what I do. I love writing. I love writing what I know. And I have fans. And I have loyal people who buy everything that I write. And what he says that is really, really good, because we're talking about marketing right now. He does give you his tips. He does go over everything. He says he writes every day. It is a good book to buy. But the, my favorite thing that he says is nothing sells the last book like the next book. So again, we're talking about being content producers. And continuously creating new work, getting your work out in front of people, and knowing that there are going to be haters, but not caring because you're creating something that you love and that other people love too. So it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to get it done. Get it to where your, your, writer, your, your writer friends, your bug hunters, your editor, get it to where all of them have given you their notes and you fix it and you put it out there and then you write the next one. Yes. That's that's the best marketing tip he gives is he says, literally, the best thing that you can do, the best thing that sells the last book is the next book. Yes. Okay, so that right there wraps are what do you do if you're a beginner uh, and you want to go indie? And one of the things that I wanted to put in here too, because we didn't talk about it, why? Okay. We didn't talk about why, as a oh. beginner, you would pick indie over over commercial. Okay, over commercial. Yes. Oh, so so why don't you start? Well, to me, being a beginner, and she went over everything. If you guys, you know, you guys were listening, and and part of that was having your production schedule down, knowing that you can consistently create new ideas, knowing that you can consistently show up with you know chair and butt words on page knowing that you are a consistent person who can create a decent amount of work indie is probably going to be a better bet because so far <laughs> it has been what nine months mm -hmm. 
since I have submitted a book to Harlequin, who specifically makes their money on the turnover of new material, of new content. That is, that is their, their paradigm is consistently putting out new books. A lot of them. A lot of them. With new authors. Because their readers, yeah, well, some with new authors, a lot of authors that write more than one thing. And a lot of their readers are, quote, whales. They're going to buy everything in a particular line. They're going to buy everything that Harlequin puts out. So... It's been nine months and I still haven't heard yes or no. It's still labeled as received. And mm-hmm. yes, I have sent three very professional queries as to how is this doing? Yes. Is there any response? As a professional, I know they're very professional. So yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's it's not that, it, it, to, to me, I was afraid that I was not going to be able to keep up with the turnaround that Harlequin was requesting and still keep my content at a high enough quality. However, it's looking that it's the reverse. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know yet. Again, if they accept it, I will have another view. Maybe once they accept an author, their turnaround is a lot quicker. I'm not going to bet any money on that. Uh, Yeah. Once, once you are in the stable, um, you generally have an, uh, an yeah. editor assigned an editor. to you and yes. you, you, know, you hear back. Um, but how long is it going to take before that book is edited? How long before, you know, once they send me their edits and I finish what they want and I send it back very quickly, mm-hmm. how long before they approve it? How long before it gets published right. and is out there? And before the next one, it's, it, you know, what, what is that turnaround? for the first time book and then what is the turnaround for any subsequent books so if you know that you are a consistent writer putting out a decent amount of books now might be the time to go indie even as a beginner and put your stuff out into the world because you might be able to create a backlist now i have no problem doing both if if harlequin does want my stuff that's amazing that's great i will totally keep working with them and keep going with them that would be awesome because it, it's only going to help me you know mm-hmm. but i'm still going to put out my indie stuff yeah. <laughs> because well i think i think it's very interesting that you mentioned that because uh i i lona andrews uh, yes i am i am totally just into what they are writing and i discovered that part of what they're doing is commercial and part of what they're doing currently is indie. That their innkeeper series is an indie series. And they are just doing that on their own and doing all the work on it themselves and getting it out there. And it kicked ass. And well, that's, that's another reason why I think that you would want to go indie as well. And mm-hmm. this is something that's very, very important that I want to stress. Because I got a very unique viewpoint <laughs> growing up. Um, seeing... Holly create worlds over and over and over again and fall in love with them and want to write in them, plan seven books, have these amazing storylines, these arcs that you you never got to write them. I never got to finish a single one. Yeah, ever. Not once. No. No one ever got to read the amazing storylines that she ended up, you know, having to chop down into three books every time. To me, what makes that worse is that 
the 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 publishers don't just say okay well we don't want any more thank you you know wrap it up in three they take that world you can't go back in for a good amount a number of years if they ever release that content back to you so what you have created you can't use again until this publisher says okay well we don't want it anymore you can have it back right because they also have first rights to buy it back they have the first rights to, to keep it it depends on the contract and there are some yeah. contracts where that is is the case uh that was the case with scholastic um that was not the case with a couple of my other publishers yeah it so. like you said it, it depends yeah. on the con that's why i said you know some of them but to me that's why Creating a world like Wanda Lucia, which is a small town in Georgia, it's, you know, it's, I can create a million of those. I, that, that is, I, I don't have a problem if they want to kill the series after three or five books or whatever. If this is assuming I even get accepted, <laughs> which is a big assumption, but the possibility of losing that world is okay. The possibility of losing Fulton Hills, which I have been working on since 19, is a no-go. That right. is an absolutely 100%. It's not going to fucking happen. I will die on that hill. <laughs> That's why I do not... When we were when I was writing Glass House and I wanted to submit this to a publisher and you told me, remember what I went through. Mm-hmm. You could lose that world. It reminded me... Of all of that struggle and every single time. Mm-hmm. And and I realized no one is taking this over my goddamn dead body. Right. They will have to fight me. I, I, I will shoot them with guns and burn <laughs> their house down. <laughs> okay. I, let's, let's, let's calm down. Yeah. Have Wait, some this dip. is weird. You telling me to calm down. <laughs> yes. Usually it's the other way around. But yeah, yeah so that, that's, that's why I... I I want to tell you, if you are writing in a world that you are in love with, if you have characters that you are in love with and want to stretch over seven, ten books, Mm -hmm. you might want to think about going indie with it. The only way you can guarantee that you will get to write the books you want to write, and this isn't just the content of the books you want to write, this is carrying out a full series, a full story arc, being able to follow those characters. The only way you can know that you will actually get to do that is if you go indie. And I have series after series after series to prove that. I mean, imagine if Harry Potter was forced to wrap up in book three Mm -hmm. and nobody, you know, because of shitty marketing, because that's basically what happened with your books. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it just, it's, it's heartbreaking to know that we never got the full span of the secret texts or of uh, the Quarry world. Right. Or of our hell. You know, to me. We never even got close. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, as a beginner, keep this in mind. Maybe it's best if you have this world that you're 100% in love with and you've worked so hard to create and you've been working on it for years or you have these characters that you have this huge arc for, maybe it's a good idea to keep it indie. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, those are, those are my statements as far as why, as a beginner, you would want to go indie, what kind of things could 
influence your decision. Again, there's no saying it has to be one way or the other. You can still submit other things to publishers. Right. But if you have a passion project, and I made the mistake of turning every single thing that I did into a passion project, into the thing that I wanted to write for the rest of my life. It'll be different this time. <laughs> yeah, it will be different this time. And it wasn't different any time. Um, if, so if that's you, uh, you really, really want to think hard about pushing for commercial publication because commercial publication will break your heart. Uh, unless you are that, that black swan. Yeah, yeah, but everybody thinks they're that black swan. Everybody, everybody thinks they yeah. Every single person that has asked me questions or talked to me, not every single person, but a lot of <laughs> these people that, you know, typically they're ones that say they're writers but haven't listened to our podcast, haven't mm -hmm. gone in and gotten your free courses or, or really read very many books. They haven't read the books that I've suggested to them, like Sid Field's screenplay, if they're mm -hmm. screenwriters. A lot of these people say the same thing. I have the next breakout book. I have the next Harry Potter series. I have the next um, it, uh, Chris Nolan screenplay. It, it's like you very well might have a brilliant piece of work. It might be one of the best things that's been written in the last decade. That doesn't mean shit. No, it doesn't mean and it's going to break out. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, even, even, you have to understand, there are people who write brilliant fucking fiction who are absolutely amazing. And there, there are several that I can think of whose works uh, should have been just best-selling from the time they came out of the gate until the day they died, and they weren't. And and I can I can read them now and think why 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 did not you why did your stuff not just hit everywhere? And it wasn't because it wasn't brilliant. It was brilliant. It just never got found. And you can't guarantee that you are going to get found, but you have a better chance going indie than if you have than if you are a mid-list writer in somebody's stable and you are getting the absolute bare minimum promotion. Yeah, and again, it just—I know that this is a bit of a cliche, but Van Gogh only sold one painting his entire career. I know a lot of people say, "Oh, he never sold anything." No, that's a myth. He sold one, his entire career, and when he died. His sister-in-law was the only reason anybody found his work because she felt for him, his mental disabilities, and the fact that he was an amazing painter. It, it is arguable. Some people don't like it. That's fine. Some, you know, art is, is very subjective. It but is. Van Gogh had something that if it had been found by other people and promoted properly, he would have been a very popular artist it it's a bit of a cliche I know a lot of people are, are like I don't like Van Gogh it doesn't matter but the, the point is that <laughs> good shit is invisible a lot of the time yeah so just because you think that you have something that is brilliant and amazing whether or not it is isn't the point. The point is that just because you have something good doesn't mean that it's going to get out to the people that need it or that want to read it or that you need to see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, so, so, yeah. So don't think that there is some sort of a guarantee behind this. Um, if, if publishers could 
make a book go like Harry Potter went, every book would yes. go like Harry Potter went. Yes. <laughs> yeah. If, if so. they had any fucking clue how to do this, they, that would be all they did. Mm-hmm. They got no clue. So I guess that would sort of wrap up all of the indie. Right. The beginner indie. Beginner indies. Right. Okay. So that's it. And I'm going to just run through the list one more time. You have to be writing and producing new work steadily. You have to have a process in place for idea generation, first draft production, revision and editing, book production and distribution, PayPal and Stripe accounts. I didn't even remember those, but you have to, <laughs> you, you have to have a way to get paid. Um, yes. And then you have to have a, a method for marketing. Okay, so that brings us now to the other end of this spectrum. If you are commercially publishing and you are wondering, wondering whether you should either go indie just completely or whether you should subsidize your commercial work with indie work, um, let's take a look at that. Because uh, if you are, if you, if, the, if you are working with a big commercial publisher who kisses your feet or your ass, whichever one you prefer, and is throwing money at you for every book, and if you could live easily on your royalty, your, your biannual royalty statements, um, with, with whatever you've got coming in just on royalties, if you could just float on that, uh, you do not need anything that I am going to say from here on out. But, you, but at the same time, why wouldn't you go indie? You're just going to make more money. <laughs> I guess it's about time of uh, writing the right. books and everything. Right, too, it is so. about yeah. But you don't if you don't need it, you might still want to do it. But yeah. you know, if if you are a, a New York Times bestseller, you're not listening to this podcast anyway. So probably not. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are one of my people, which is the people who um, are pretty deep in the trenches, and uh, you know have have the the pain and suffering of having to pay bills and wondering how that's going to be done from month to month, uh, then, and if you are commercially publishing, first off, I feel your pain (laughs) because it was hard. It was really, really hard. And the, the year that we had 25 bucks in savings or not in savings, we didn't even have a savings account back then in checking, uh, at Christmas and Matt, um, pawned his trumpet so that he could buy you guys Christmas presents. Um, comes to mind. My basketball, and then Mark had something else. He, but I, I remember think he got, he got, into got me a basketball. Movies. Yeah, probably. Some, some, movies is, there's yeah. always movies for Mark. <laughs> yeah, always. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's because, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is not easy to work for commercial publisher because uh, they tend to not pay on time. Uh, You tend to have a lot of, and I am using very bitter air quotes here, uh, you have a lot, tend to have a lot of checks in the mail uh, that takes six months. It's it's processing. It's in processing, I think was the uh, scholastic term, right? (laughs) Yes, the term is processing. Yes. Oh, yes. The accounting is processing your check. Uh, And accounting must be made up of of 140 year old men who move at a rate of about a centimeter a week because 
son of a bitch. (laughs) So, you know, if this is you, you probably want to, at bare minimum, consider supplementing your income by doing a unique, different from what you're publishing, not in the same world, series for what you're writing for your commercial publisher. Something that you own outright that they cannot touch contractually. This is a big damn deal, okay? Don't think that they will be okay with you writing short stories in the same world in which they are publishing your novels. They won't and they will claim them and you will be lucky if you get paid for them. Don't go there, okay? I mean, can't they even sue you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And believe me, they would. If you started making bank on stuff that you were publishing that were uh, in the same world as the world that they were publishing, um, uh, and you did not you know, hand over your shit, they would come after you, believe it. So don't go there. Make, create something unique, completely different, um, not necessarily under a, a pseudonym. You can, you, you can keep your same name. Uh, and if you are writing in the same genre, you would be wise to do so, especially if you are selling, because uh, your indie work can help sell your commercial work. Um, and I think it's delightful to see that Alona Andrews is doing both commercial and indie stuff. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. But be very, very, very careful to understand your contracts and to understand um, what your publisher can claim as a breach of contract and make sure that you don't breach. But with that said, um, you want, if you want to control your production and backlist, going indie is a big deal. If you, if you want to, I was being held to one book a year uh, when I was publishing commercially. Because that was the thought at the time is that if you come out with more than one book a year, the other books are going to cut into your sales. Now, I don't know who came up with this myth. Uh, It is a myth. I don't know whether commercial publishers are still sticking to that myth, but it's bullshit. If you are producing a book every two or three months, your readers will buy a book every two or three months if they like you. Uh, I mean, even look at... Look at even um, J.K. Rowling when she was coming out with Harry Potter. It was once a year, every single year. Yeah. You know? Right. And that's, I mean. No, I mean, those were big, fat books. Yeah. Well, some of them were. And got they, bigger and the fatter last as three. she went. Yeah. Yeah. The last three were, were big, fat, or four were big, fat books. Yeah. Yeah. But um, your readers, if they love what you are doing, your, your readers, the ones who, who come to the internet for you and then read other people when they don't have you, um, they will read as often as you can put something good out as long as you maintain your quality and are telling stories that you love and they love. They'll, they'll hang with you. They will support you. So if you want to control your production and your backlist, um, you may want to go indie. If you want to specifically write what you love, you probably want to go indie because the, <laughs> um, I don't know whether you've heard this from an editor, but it's, well, you know, um, we really don't want you to take these books in that direction. And 
Um, we don't think readers actually like that sort of thing. And it turns out later that uh, that's the thing readers really, really fucking love. Uh, but you didn't write that because your publisher didn't think that was the market. Um, you may want to think about going indie. Uh, if you want to avoid the three book death spiral, which is, and, and I don't know how much of a problem this is anymore because most bookstores are dying. Yeah. A lot. Most of them are dead and the ones that are around are not doing well. So I don't know how much the three book death spiral is still pushing the publishing cycle. But what this is, is um, bookstores have, a, have or had a, a replenishment system uh, where if a book sold a certain number, it would auto-replenish. And it's ordering to the net, you right, said, right? Right, right. So ordering to the net means that if what you want them to do is order to the gross. So if you if the publisher ordered in 10 books and they sold nine uh, then when the ninth book sold you want them to order another nine so that they still have 10 in stock um, ordering to the net means that they will only order the net number sold uh, so if they only ordered nine then they will get rid of the 10th one and the next time they'll order nine which decreases the amount of space on the shelf which means that it will sell less because the more space a book holds on the shelf, the more visible it becomes. So, okay, let's say that for book two, they, they will order in for book two of your series, they will order in nine because the last one sold nine, they will order nine, which means that you are not growing an audience. You are fetus, feeding an eternally shrinking audience. So the next time you have nine books on the shelf, not too bad, okay? You sell five of them. Okay, book three, then they will sell, they will order in five of book three, which means you have half the shelf space, you will be spined out, you will not have the space that, that brings in readers. And what's really fun here is that you now have a provable three book pattern of your book not of your book selling each time less than it sold the time before. They did not give you an opportunity to grow your readership and the book, the series will be canceled in three books. Okay. That is the three book death spiral. And it doesn't matter, uh, whether it, the publisher didn't promote it. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. There is nothing that you can do to save this because the computers, not human beings, are selling the books. The computers, not human beings, are ordering the books. And um, there, is, you, you, there is nothing you can do. So your world is dead in three books, no matter how much you loved it, no matter how much readers loved it, no matter how it might have had a chance to find an audience. Now, I don't know uh, not being in commercial publishing anymore uh, I don't know whether the three book death spiral is still a thing. I don't know whether bookstores have enough of an influence to even even show up as sales anymore. I don't yeah. know whether they count anymore. Um, but if they do, and if you are a commercially published author and you have experienced the three book death spiral, um, indie publishing 
You can put your books up. They will be up there forever. They will have as much time as they need to find an audience. They will have as much time as you choose to promote them to find an audience. You own the world. You can write in it as long as you want. And yeah. that, is, that is the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope with Cadence Drake, even though it is apparently urban fantasy in space. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think it's a thing. Um, I can at least have a chance to continue with that series, maybe, maybe at a rate of one book a year, just because just I love her so much and I love the world so much. Um, yeah, I mean, it, again, it, passion project. It is, you yeah. Know? Yeah, and you know. And if you're doing really well with the Ohio series, there isn't anything, like I told you, it's that busman's holiday thing that you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. You, you were getting paid with your commercial fiction, but you were getting a little bit miserable, and Matt told you, take Fridays to do something else, and mm-hmm. you took a Friday to write, what was it, Midnight Ryan yeah. at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Turned and well. that was your busman's holiday, and... This won't even be the same thing because no. you won't be miserable with the Ohio series. Oh my God, and then you I can still so write Katie. So holy yeah. shit. I am so I am I, it has its it has claws in me so deep right now I couldn't walk away if I wanted to. <laughs> it's, so what's what is next on the Okay. So um if you are <laughs> this is the big thing. If you are willing to learn a lot of new jobs and willing to do them yourself on a shoestring budget until you're making enough money to hire out, you may want to go indie. And I will not in any way understate the amount of fucking work this is. It is you writing the first draft and then sitting down and revising the first draft. So far, so good. It is you then coming up with a group of readers to do a, a uh, content edit for you or hiring um, a, a reasonably priced content editor. Um, it is, depending on how much your commercial fiction is paying you and whether that's still bringing in some money or not, it is putting out, it is going through and fixing and bug hunting and formatting a book in book format so that it looks commercially, professionally produced. Um, It is coming up with good cover art. It is coming up with learning how to copyright and doing good copywriting. So you're looking at editing, not revision. You're looking at manuscript production, layout and design, cover design, book distribution, book marketing, which is advertising and creating buzz around each book. It is writing your own copywriting, which I have to tell you, you cannot do much worse than most commercial publishers. (laughs) Most commercial publishers are absolute balls at writing anything even remotely related to uh, commercial, commercial quality copywriting. So if you, this is a skill where you can just, you can just wipe the floor with uh, a commercial publisher. But um, you have to get really good cover art and you have to have all of the other stuff in place and then, and then you have to start looking at advertising. And um, so you are not looking at a small thing here. You are looking at end to end having to know how to do everything or having to pay somebody else a significant amount of money to do it. And I cannot recommend doing that because your objective with publishing is for it to pay you. 
which means you have to earn a profit. And a profit is how much money is coming in, uh, and then you subtract how much money is going out, and you have to have a positive number at the end of that, okay? The amount of money coming in minus the amount of money going out equals your profit. You have to assume that the first few books are not going to make you any money at all. You have to assume that until you have a book backlist of maybe five or ten books, uh, you are going to be just squeaking by with a few sales. This is a long-term investment in yourself. In saying, I am worth this. In saying, I can do this and I am starting from scratch and I am going to have to pay for it in sweat equity until I can afford to step up to something as important as a commercial copy edit or as a commercial formatting, you know? And I will be delighted when I am able to go back to have, having my stuff commercially formatted. I am very fortunate that I have a brilliant copy editor that works for free for me. Um, <laughs> that, uh, I am very, very lucky in that regard. But um, no, content editor, I have to still have to pay for copy editing. And right now, uh, what I am doing is group sourcing my copy editing because uh, I am still not at the point where I am making, where my bottom line would be profitable if I were paying for copy editing too. So um, you, you do, you have to do math and it's very simple math. It's how much money does this book earn me? How much money did it cost me? And the number at the end has to be a positive number. That's it, that's it. Very, very simple math. It has to, and, and you can do this math. I can do this math and I suck at math. So if you are willing to do a lot of the work yourself to begin with, this is way worth your time. It is way worth your time just to broaden your audience, just to have more stuff out there, just to publish more than once a year. And it, to be in control, complete control of the content. Yeah, too. in complete control of the content so that if, you know, uh, oh, let's go crazy here. Let's say that you have a game designer or um, a movie producer who wants to buy rights for your thing uh, and they want to buy rights for your indie stuff. You own all of those rights. No questions, no arguments. That, that's just your stuff. You can do with that whatever you want. If you, want, if you have somebody who, who loves the stuff and they, they want, you can sell it for whatever you want. You don't have to be, you don't have to make the kind of money on it that um, a big publisher is going to be pushing for so you have a better chance of getting a sale simply because um, you can be reasonable. Plus, you can get all of the money. Yeah. The publisher isn't going to take a lot of that money. Right. So, you know, there's no cut. It's just yeah. you and whoever wants to do this thing. Uh, and you can say, hey, well, you know, I don't have to have 1% um, of net. Um, no, no, no. It's gross. I don't have to gross, have 1% yeah. or 2% of gross. You never go for net. Never accept <laughs> a deal in net. Yeah. But, you know, little, little movie companies, maybe you would want to do something that was an indie movie. Have your thing produced by a, a, a brand new indie publisher, and you say, "Okay, yeah, well, we're gonna have to have some money, and uh, I'm gonna have to have a, a, a little taste on the back end." But it doesn't. Yeah, or I mean, if you if you can write screenplays, then maybe that's yeah. part of the deal is that you are going to be the one who writes the screenplay. But just just as a real quick note, most most movie producers are not going to accept that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> because writers always think that they can write screenplays for their books. But the problem is, the best thing is that they have people who do this for a living, who right. adapt for a living. Who adapt. And you, yeah, who, who, when you are looking at, well, this is a whole nother topic. Yes, but it yeah, is. Okay, so let's not yeah. get off of that. <laughs> but anyway, the, the thing is with that, the important thing is that you do own all rights to your stuff. And it is very important for you to preserve those rights, um, to make sure that you have, you have done everything that you need to do to protect your copyright. Um, and that is a thing for you and your lawyer. But, um, it is remarkably freeing to know that I get to go in in the morning and write what I want to write in fiction and that I can go in any direction I choose to go. I can be as dark as I want. I can be as snarky as I want. I can be as bright and chipper and perky as I want. I can write the kinds of characters I want. I can include all of the gay and straight and trans and everybody, everybody that I want to have in my books, I get to put in there and nobody is going to tell me not to. Conversely, I am not required to include any specific point of view. Um, I get to write the books I want to write. And um, that's a big deal. That is a very, very big deal. It's fun. It makes, it makes going to work in the morning a blast. So is there a takeaway for this episode? There is a takeaway for this episode, and it is very simply this. How much do you want it? Whether you are um, an indie, whether you are looking at going in indie from the start, or whether you are commercially published and looking at supplementing by being an indie, or looking at walking away from commercial publishing after you have had just one too many times where you have had your, your head hammered into the dirt. Um, how much do you want this? How much do you want to write? How much, how hard are you willing to work? How much sweat equity are you willing to put into it? How much are you willing to learn the job, which is a much bigger job when you are indie than it is when you are commercially published? How much do you want this? Um, and I have to say it is hard. I have absolutely no regrets, none. I am so glad I walked away that, and I would, I cannot think of a circumstance in which I would consider going back. Can't think of it. I'm also glad that you've had that experience as well. Yeah. It's, it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I am glad that I started out commercial. Um, it made me appreciate Indy, Indy that much more. It also gives you a certain amount of credibility as well. Well, yeah. That, you know, is probably becoming a little bit rarer and the fact that indie publication is is looking more and more respectable with every year that mm -hmm. grows is also a really good thing yes it is so yeah. yes you know it is i know there are still a lot of people who you know becky gets this from time to time the, the, your mom's a real writer yeah yeah um well yeah if you're writing regularly and you are are publishing in any venue regularly you're a real writer you might not be a good writer 
but you are a real writer. <laughs> I, I would get a lot of condescension from people, even when I was a kid in school and stuff. It, there's that, con but especially nowadays, it's it's more because India is so much more prevalent that people hear that you're a writer or, you know, and it, I don't bring it up that much. It's just, it, you know, they know that I'm a writer and I get a lot of condescension on their part for that. Like, like you know, what, what do you think you can write? Then, then of course, if they find out that you're a writer, they, one friend in particular was like, oh, okay, yeah, writer. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's nice for her, you know, <laughs> and then it's, it's kind of like, I guarantee you 100% this person looked you up just to be able to shove it in my face that you are an indie writer or mm -hmm. that you're not doing so well, or you have four books out and they're all three stars or 2.5 stars yeah. or whatever. And then this person found out that there was this huge backlist of you and, and you're actually in bookstores and you, yeah. you know, you're, you won a, the, an award for your first book and that <laughs> you wrote sci-fi and yeah, it, it, it was, did you know that your mother was a real writer? Like, <laughs> literally the words that came out of this person's mouth. Yeah. No, thanks, you never knew that. I kept that no, in a deep, real one? dark, filthy what? secret. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, so. Yeah, that's cute. <laughs> yeah yeah and and people often thought I was lying as a kid because I was always very proud of you as a kid I, I uh -huh. you know like if, especially if if the topic what does your parent do for a living comes up it then she's a writer she's a published author it probably and, did not help that I kept my maiden name um I don't think that really would have mattered necessarily I mean it's you know they they wouldn't have believed me either way oh that's but, true and then I would have to bring in a book to prove to them. Signed, and love, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, of course, then you still have the people who don't believe you. But then uh, I made the, the uh, what was it? It was a mistake. I was reading Sympathy for the Devil for the first time when we lived here, South Georgia, Bible Belt. Uh-oh. When I was in school and we were doing one of our, our times when we were just sitting down where they have you read or... Uh, just you're quiet, but you're not doing any work. It was homeroom before we left for another class. So I pulled out my book and I read. I always did. And of course, the teacher, uh, Mrs. Hartman, <laughs> she was 100 years old then. She's probably still alive and 100 years old and still teaching and still scaring students. And she was very unhappy with me because of the title and she told me that she does not appreciate me reading that book in her classroom oh, God. but that was also the one that had the big devil on the cover sitting in front of a computer yep yep and she, she never told me that i had to put it away she never told me so i gotta give her props for that but she she and i read it the next day because i have a I have always had issues with authority and <laughs> I know when I am not breaking a rule and you can't make me do that. So, you know, kiss my ass. But, um, so I, I give her props for that, which I have never in the past, but she was very, un she was very unpleased <laughs> and made it known that, that she would prefer I not read that in her presence. Yeah. But I did not care. <laughs> that was, and that was actually a very, very sweet religious book. Yeah, it really was. It, it was. was. It, it was. It was. You know, but, God was a good guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, well. Yes. The, did you tell her that I wrote it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yes. And I think that that might have been part of the reason why she did not force me to put it away, 
or attempt to wasn't, force me to put it away. Wasn't she the one that invited me to come to class and talk to the class? No. No? no. Okay. That was in South Florida. That was the one that uh, told me that my story, she was very disappointed in my story oh, God. because it, you know, my mother was an author and I should know better. Therefore, you should it be had writing that, at a professional level. Yes. At when 13, you at 12 years old. Yeah. 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, and she just didn't like the dark twist to it, I think, was the problem. Yeah. Oh, that, no, my God. I was so angry. Okay, so that was our episode. What was the title again, Holly? Go ahead. And okay, the title on this is "When Do You Know It's Time to Go Indie?" There we go. So yeah, I, I have a tendency to forget titles because <laughs> I have no brain, whereas <laughs> I remember them only because I have them written down yes. right in front of me. <laughs> so yeah, if you would like to uh, become part of the discussion, get your own input in. We have a great, you know, growing community at Holly'sWritingClasses.com. Um, just sign up. It's a free account. If you don't already have one, you get the free how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck course. It is three weeks and it also teaches you a lot about writing in general. You just come into the forums. It is clearly marked podcast alone within alone in a room with invisible people and join in on the conversation from this episode. We have every episode, uh, thread clearly labeled. So find the right one and jump in. Give us your take on this. Give us your reasons why you would prefer to go specifically indie, go specifically commercial, do a mixture of both. Where are you in your publications right now? Where are you in your writing career in general? Anything, you know, just just come in and join in on the conversation. If you would like to support the podcast, we have a website. It is uh, coffee.com. It is ko-fi.com slash alone. And there are um, monthly subscribers. There's, you know, one-time coffee givers for as little as $3 a month. We, you know, that that makes a huge difference. If you don't want to trust your money to coffee.com, we have a way to support us through just PayPal. Go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com and on the top right hand, there is a drop-down menu and there's three different tiers that you can just support us whenever you want if you've got the funds. Again, there's no obligation to support us that way. Just sharing, just commenting, just being a part of the community. That is huge and it makes such a difference to us. If you would like to support Holly, there's several ways. You can buy her fiction. Just look up Holly Lyle, that's L-I-S-L-E. And you can look um, pretty much anywhere like we were talking about. You can just Google it or go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you prefer to buy your eBooks, and you can find her stuff there. You can join the community and buy any of her courses. She has them starting at uh, under $10 and then going all the way up to the bigger courses, which are like how to think sideways. But she has mid-range courses about writer's block, writer's discipline. I think that writer's discipline is a good one to mention in this one because uh -huh. uh, this is a lot about discipline. And um, I'll let you tell them about your coffee account because you have different perks and stuff, which uh, okay. this podcast does not do. Okay, and yeah, I do have uh, a coffee account. It's ko-fi.com forward slash Holly, L-I-S-L-E, Lyle. $3 or any increment of $3 where you can increase it up to whatever you want and do that. First thing is I have five special authors only um, proof copies of the fourth edition, the brand new edition of Create a Character Clinic in the print versions. And uh, these, if you get one of these, you will also get the link to the class itself, 
with the forum. Becky will put you in. You'll have to come in and let us know. If you, if you don't already have the class, you do not have to buy the class, but we will have to put you in for it uh, to get the downloads and the worksheets and stuff like that. I am going to do a drawing uh, next month. Uh, this is May, so I'm going to do a drawing in June for the first one of these. And anybody who has sponsored me even once is going to be eligible for this. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a current that month sponsorship. It is just if my coffee, if in my coffee account, you have sponsored me for three bucks once at any point, you are eligible for this drawing. And I am going to do a random drawing. I have a randomizer so that it will not be, there is no favoritism possible in this. It's just going to pull somebody up. That person will be pulled out of the cycle until um, all of these copies are gone and then uh, will probably be held out of the cycle for a little bit for, for our next bonuses. So that gives folks a little bit of time to get in there if you want to fund. Uh, and if you want to fund one time for three bucks, you will still be eligible for the drawing. The other thing is the other guaranteed bonus is a live chat with me using Zoom. So you do have to have a halfway not horrible internet connection. You can do sound only. You don't have to have video, so you can do it for sound only and just, you know, sit and, and uh, it does have a little chat room. People are going to be asking me questions via the chat room, and I will just be sitting and answering questions and hanging out with people for an hour, two hours. I don't know. You know, I, I tend to like to talk. Zoom is free because Holly, Holly will right. be able, she has a paid account, so she can keep the room open. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be there the whole time. You can show up late. You can just pop in. You can you right. know, be there the whole time if you want. But Zoom is free, so you won't have to pay for, for it at all to, to be a part of the live chat. Right. And then one of the things that I am going to do for everybody who sponsors me, other than that, who, who isn't sponsoring on a subscription account. So anybody who, who funds me on a subscription account can just show up for these. That is, they, will, they are the only people who can show up for the live ones. But um, some period of time after we do the live chat, I will get my button gear and I will grab the video from Zoom and I will put it into the right format to put up on my YouTube page. So this will become just one of the things on my YouTube feed. And at that point, everybody will be able to come in and get, see what we talked about and, you know, read the questions. It won't be live, but it will be there. Yeah, that's very cool. So again, if you want to support Holly that way, it is coffee.com. That is K-O uh, hyphen fi.com slash Holly Lyle, all one word. The last name is spelled L-I-S-L-E. And I do have one other thing on that. My guys came up with uh, a bunch of different ideas for things that they would like for me to do as bonuses. And I decided I'm pretty much going to do as many of them as I can. So the five books, that's just like uh, the next five months kind of thing where that's going to be. And then after I've done those, then I'll take a different kind of bonus. And we won't be doing a book giveaway that time. We'll be doing something different. Oh, okay. This is cool. So there's going to be a bunch of different bunch bonuses. Of different kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so if you have any ideas for what a cool bonus would be, you know, feel free to drop it with, with Holly on the forums. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram, though we are kind of lackadaisical there. We, do, we don't post a whole bunch, but it is at A-I-A-R-W-I-P. That's Airwhip, 
And you can also search the terms uh, alone in a room with invisible people or alone with invisible people. You can follow us on our Facebook page, which is a little bit more active. It is alone in a room with invisible people. You can like us on there. You can comment on stuff. You can message us. It's just the best way to get in touch with us and to be a part of the community is through hollyswritingclasses.com. You can email us if you want to keep something private at show at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. And if you are going through um, a personal anxiety, infertility, depression, anything like that and you don't want to be on the forums and talk about that in our specific thread for that but you want to reach out to me and just talk to me it is rebecca at alone with so i just want to say thank you very much for listening to this um episode i know it's a it's a long one and i know there's a lot of information in there feel free to listen to it again and again and if we didn't answer any of your questions come into the forums let us know what you need to know and thank you for listening holly Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I have had fun this episode, uh, and I hope that you will at least consider an indie path. I think it would be well worth your time.